So I, I said that I would start tonight with discussing the difference between Hasidim and Misnagdim. So someone had asked, uh, in his mind, I guess, the difference between the Hasidim, right, the Hasidic movement that arose with the Baal Shem Tov, right, in the mid-1700s, and that had a focus on mysticism. And this fellow asked, well, it doesn't exactly seem like Rev Hirsch would be a classic Hasidish fellow. That being said, he also seems to be very focused on mysticism and like the deeper, more hidden part of Judaism. So would you classify Rav Hirsch as a chassid or as a mitnaget, right? So a couple of things to, to clarify very quickly. Obviously, this is really a large topic and not a 10-minute topic. Um, chassid uh, is a word that has been used prior to the Hasidic movement. Hasid means someone who is very righteous, someone who strives to be very righteous. The Gemara itself uses this word. So the Talmud is using this word 2,000 years ago. It was a word that was applied to people who were exceedingly pious, exceedingly righteous in their behavior. The word misnaged actually means those who are against, those who are opposed to, right? So it's not exactly, you know, is the way to describe people is you are opposed to something else, right? So for example, um, words have, have meaning, right? And when you describe someone as either pro-life or anti-abortion, right? One of them has a little bit of a different connotation when you're being described as anti a specific movement. Anyway, so the Hasidic movement begins and the Hasidic movement was coming in a time period. We've had many time periods of persecution, but certainly in the 1600s and 1700s, there was a tremendous amount of persecution. Specifically, this is on the heels of the incident of Chelmenitsky, who was a Kazakh and who murdered and created pogroms and murdered many, many, many Jews in the middle of the 1600s, 1648 and 1649 in uh, Ukraine, which is where he came from, and um, Poland and Russia. As a response to that, Many people believed in Shabtai Tzvi, who was a false messiah. Now, what Shabtai Tzvi did, he offered everyone hope. You tell people you're the messiah in very difficult times. There's, that's, that's hope. That's wonderful, right? Now, a way in which he attracted the masses, he was revealing Kabbalah. He was revealing the mystical side of Judaism to everyone. Tradition is that Kabbalah, by definition, means something which you have accepted from someone else. Kabbalah is supposed to be taught in private. It's supposed to be taught in a more, uh, in general, it should not be lectured on in public. It should be taught in private. It should be taught to people when they have a groundwork of understanding of regular, of all the other parts and all the other facets of Judaism. Then you go deeper. Without understanding the basic ideas, to go to the Kabbalah would be a little silly. Now, when he was found out to be a fraud, we're talking about Shabtai Tzvi right now, in the late, later 1600s, there was a tremendous backlash. And we discussed previously when we were learning the Mesilat Yisharim, that Mesilat Yisharim, the author, the Ramchal, was also a very charismatic, a very young, charismatic, brilliant individual who was revealing Kabbalah to a small group of individuals. He wasn't revealing it to everyone, but he was immediately suspect in people's eyes. Now, this is the backdrop in which the Baal Shem Tov, which literally means the owner of the good name, who is Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, right? the owner of the good name. He is uh, from Ukraine. In the early 1700s, he starts holding sway. He's very charismatic. 
And he recognizes that many of the masses are desperately, desperately yearning for some hope. He is not a charlatan and he is not offering them false hope of being the Messiah. What he's trying to do is to bring a level of joy into their lives. And he's focused on the joy in doing the mitzvahs. He also is revealing some of the mystical Torah because I one time heard someone describe it. How would you describe Kabbalah? And he said, you know what Kabbalah is? Kabbalah is a way to explain why bad things happen to good people. Now, without getting into exactly how it does that, but there is some truth to that. So this was an incredibly powerful motivation to explain to people what Kabbalah is, to give them a better sense of why life was so difficult for them at that time. Now, this was also very threatening because it was coming on the heels of what had been happening until now. Because traditional Judaism did not believe in dealing with Kabbalah in a very open, public fashion. And there were a couple of other aspects about which the traditional approach to Judaism was not happy with, with the way the Hasidim were approaching the dissemination of this idea. And also they felt that they were too caught up in terms of what your mood should be while you're doing a mitzvah, as opposed to focusing more on actually practically doing the mitzvah, right? So there was a tremendous opposition to Hasidism when it first came into, into uh, effect, when it first burst onto the scene and, and was incredibly you know, fruitful in terms of spreading everywhere. And there was this tremendous opposition. Now, the, the author, the author or the, let's say the leader of the opposition was the Goan from Vilna, Rabbi Elijah Kramer. Now, to be clear, Rabbi Elijah Kramer was a tremendous, tremendous background in Kabbalah. And he has a, he taught, we have a lot of his writings or at least things that he has had, he, he said about Kabbalah. So he knew a lot about mysticism. Mysticism is not Hasidism, okay? So Kabbalah has existed forever. The word Kabbalah literally means that it is a tradition. That means that we only have this information because someone else gave it to us. When you, when you think about what Kabbalah reveals to the world, these are not pieces of information that is possible to come up with on your own, right? It either could be completely made up, right? Or in other words, if I'm gonna say Kabbalah to someone else, that means that someone else had to teach me the Kabbalah. There's no other way to come to it. It is not a rational set of a system that we can discover in any other way, shape or form, okay? So Kabbalah has always been around. It comes straight from Moshe Rabbi. But the idea of revealing it to the world and the idea of that the, it will be more of a focus and the idea that there will be halacha, which is decided based on Kabbalistic ideas, were new ideas that Hasidism was bringing into the world. Hasidism also revolved around a supreme leader. And it actually sounds too close to Iran, but there would be the Rebbe. And the Rebbe was the person who would kind of, you would focus your efforts and you would focus all of your, uh, your the thrust of what you're trying to do in your spiritual service, you would focus it around the Rebbe. And there was this fear that a Rebbe can be too charismatic and can take people and lead them into a bad place. Remember, this is coming on the backdrop to Shabbat Shalom. So there is this great fear that other people will be like Shabbat So that was, I think, most of the opposition to Hasidism in those days. Today, no one will call themselves a mitnagid. No one will call themselves someone who's standing against. The term that people will use today is, are you a litvak? Okay, a Litvak means someone from Lithuania. Now, Lithuania was not a stronghold of Hasidism. 
Lithuania was always a more intellectual, less emotional place. Who knows exactly why it was that way? We don't know. But the fact of the matter is certain countries develop certain personalities. And this is true for the Jews living there as well. And Lithuanians had a certain very rational, very cerebral, not so emotional. We do things because this is what we're supposed to do. Don't ask me any other questions, right? My, my grandfather was a Litvaka. My, my mother's father was a Litvak. My father's father was a Swedish. Um, so, but my mother's father was a Litvak and it was like, you do the right thing. There's nothing to talk about. There wasn't like, there wasn't any thought of ever doing the wrong thing. There was, you did the wrong thing. You did something wrong. Do chuba and let's go further. Like, there was no, I'm making him sound a little worse than he was, um, but there's no sense of um, appealing to your emotions and, you know, like more of a, a new age kind of idea, let's say, our new age approach to Judaism that we see today or that we see in the world in general, Litvaks do not believe in that. There's no sugarcoating anything. You do the right thing and that's it, right? So technically what's funny is Lithuania also does have some great Hasidism came from Lithuania. Chabad itself, the town of Chabad, not the town of Chabad, there is no town of Chabad, the town of Lubavitch, right, was located in Lithuania. So although we call it Litvaks, it means those who come from Lithuania, today it really is associated with those who are not Hasidic, okay? So just to finish up what we started with, so Rav Hirsch certainly has a tremendous mystical bent. And Rav Hirsch is coming, if you remember, Rav Hirsch is coming in opposition to a view that some people perceive to be the Rambam's approach to the world, right? Which is a super rationalist approach and which almost in their distorted view of the Rambam's approach to the world, almost does away with mysticism completely. And Rav Hirsch is not from that school of thought. He's coming in distinct opposition to that. He is approaching the world from a different worldview. The Ramban, for example, Nachmanides would be one of the authors of that worldview. And he's very much focused on the mysticism as well and on the hidden parts of the Torah and trying to explain constantly that we cannot fathom the depths of the Torah as opposed to a rationalist approach that believes that we can actually understand everything in the Torah. So he certainly also emphasized the mystical in his teaching as well. Okay.